In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome. Tell Ashley I'm in Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Live on TokiNet. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, my co-host, Medium Maureen Wood. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How was your trip to New York City? Uh, it was... And the uh, Fright Fest, or whatever the hell it was? No. Trilla Fest? Thriller Writers Conference. Thriller Fest. Yeah, it was yeah. Thriller Fest, Craft was Ma- Fest. Michael Jackson there or not? I don't know. No, no, no. A lot of big names, though. Really? But, uh, in the writing profession. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun Including weekend. Including Maureen Wood. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, Rubbing elbows with so, the rich and famous. So how was it? I mean, what, what do you learn? I mean, what what is it? A thriller fest conference? It's a uh, thriller writers, evidently. Thriller writers, correct? Mystery thriller writers, but it's all different genres. So it could be people who write paranormal into it as well. People who do like sci-fi, but it's still thrillers or um, political thrillers. Um, and it's just it was a very uh, interesting you know week or few days, and the. the there's a lot of workshops that they have backed up one right after the other, and you just you know you take the workshop and you you learn all kinds of good stuff about plotting, about dialogue, about all kinds of writing uh, methods. So it's really good, and you right. learn from the best. Hmm. Now, were there any ghosts there? No. Really? I don't know. I was so tired. Oh, ghosts! In New York City? <laughs> I was so tired. Actually, you know, we were going to go visit. I guess right off. The hotel was right next to um, Grand Central Station, and supposedly there is this this used to be a house that was turned into a bar that was right off the side of Grand Central Station that is supposedly very haunted. Um, and the girl who used to live in New York City was going to take us through there, but we were so tired by the time it was time to go that all of us just pooped out and decided not to. Really? Um, but yeah, the next time we go next year, we're going to make a plan to go over there. Interesting. Yeah, so it was very, very cool. So I, I want to uh, mention something as well. Uh, you, you remember the young lady from uh, Moutonboro, right, the investigation we did? It was, in fact, you can listen to that on iTunes, on Ghost Chronicles on iTunes. Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah, and well, you remember she invited us out to Eileen, Eileen, is it? No, but whatever. I know. I won't her name, sorry. So anyways, I, I finally called her to thank her for because she invited you and I and out to uh, dinner, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we just got our schedules. We we just don't have time to do it. But 
I, you know, I, I call her the thanker and everything. And uh, big fan of the show by the podcast, by the way. Oh, you know, cool. Everybody in the office there up at the quilting company. Oh, you're kidding. No, no. So <laughs> say hello to them. Hello. But anyway, the cool thing about this is that uh, after we talked, she, I asked her because her house was haunted. And she said, no, it's been pretty quiet other than the, the, the one room where they can't put a cable box in it for some reason. Each, every time they pull it in, it goes zonkers. But anyways, uh, she got up the next morning after I talked to her and came into the kitchen and the refrigerator door was open. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, they were helping them to themselves or something. Yeah, yeah. So she thought that was kind of funny. Ghosts don't made. get hungry? I don't know. <laughs> Unless they're like Slimer. <laughs> they possibly could. Who knows? But anyways, we've got a pretty... Um, oh, I've got a couple of events coming up. Uh, this Sunday, we have the ghost hunt at the Wyndham Restaurant. That's right. Starts at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. And I believe there's a couple of tickets left there. You can get that at the uh, Circles of Wisdom in Andover. In fact, you have to register in advance. Um, so that's kind of neat. And it's, it's, only, it's going to be a small group. We don't want too big of a group because of the, the, it is a restaurant and it is closed. And, and it is a Sunday night. And it is a Sunday night. Right. So we want a small group crowd, but uh, yeah, there is a couple tickets left available, I think, anyways, on that. And then, excuse me, on uh, July 27th, my, Mr. Jeff Blanger will be at the Wyndham for Dining with the Dead. Very good. Jeff is always a fantastic speaker. Um, lots of information to say, but he just got that, you know, charismatic approach where it keeps yeah. the, uh, the audience alive. Ha, huh, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's got a new project out now called 30-Odd Minutes, uh, which we'll probably be doing, I think, in September or something when the, the book comes out. But really? It, what is that? It's a neat, it's a TV show, half-hour TV show, hence 30 minutes, 30-odd minutes. And, That's uh, a neat premise. Basically, he has um, there's the one one question at the view is on there. They have, uh, like, clips of, uh, of uh, our pictures or video and then they call a person, and he talks about it on the air, and then they have a guest. Uh, and they usually Skype them in, and it has them on the screen TV. It's kind of cool. Anyways, if you've seen it, you can catch it on YouTube. And, uh, of course, if you go to ghostvillage.com, it's on there as well. But, anyways, uh, we have a clip I wanted to play, so hopefully uh, we can have that clip come up now. The Bridgewater Triangle. I'm John Horrigan, joined by Chris Pittman. The Bridgewater Triangle. It comes into the lexicon of cryptozoology through Lauren Coleman's Mysterious America. In fact, he brought it out again with a revised edition that's even better. He is the one, Chris, that coined the term Bridgewater Triangle, an area that roughly encompasses 200 square miles. Abington is at one apex, Rehoboth, and is at Freetown. The exact triangle, as it's been delineated, really is a very inexact thing. Uh, there are many areas within the triangle that don't seem to be quite so active with these paranormal phenomena. There are other areas just outside the triangle that are as active as those within. So uh, I think that a true map that would reflect the area of Massachusetts that we're talking about uh, has yet to actually be drawn. How was it that he came to coin the term Bridgewater Triangle? Well, this was during the 1970s when the Bermuda Triangle was a popular term that was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Charles Berlitz had put out a pair of uh, extremely popular best-selling books about the Bermuda Triangle. And uh, I think that that is what Lauren Coleman was tapping into when he coined the term. He did a lot of groundbreaking, pioneering research 
into the area, discovered a lot of uh, information about not only the, the paranormal aspects of it, but almost what somebody would call the quasi-paranormal, the very strange human aspect to the Bridgewater Triangle, where, for instance, I had a psychotherapist tell me that this person had worked in many different areas throughout New England and throughout the country and had never experienced the depth of human misery, suffering, uh, deviant behavior as they had in this one small, small town area of Massachusetts. Does it have anything to do with the Hockamock Swamp? Some people say that it might, that the Hockamock Swamp, uh, some theorized, bears some kind of curse put there by Native Americans that affects the people who live in its vicinity. Other people feel that uh, the Native Americans themselves recognized that there was something cursed, something strange, evil, something ineffable, but terrible about that swamp, and that they themselves wouldn't enter it, even to hunt or fish, even during the day. So anyway, without further ado, let's bring on our guest tonight, and that is John Harrigan. Well, John, Hello. you there? Yes, I am, Ron. How are you? Good. Hey, John. Hello, Maureen. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, I don't know how to describe you, John. I, 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 I really, you know, are you... I, or just my wife, Ron. You know. <laughs> Isn't he just a that, drama? That, that's not what people say. But anyway, so... <laughs> How would, you, how would you describe yourself, I mean, in the, in the paranormal field? What, what do you consider yourself? Uh, I, I call myself the uh, ever-elusive moniker of folklorist or paranormalist. Um, I, I am not a, a ghost researcher per se. I've got dozens upon dozens of, of ghost books, but there are people that are far more qualified, far more um, educated in the science to investigate ghosts, ghosts than myself. So I kind of veered away from that, although I'm fascinated by ghosts of war. But my specialties are, are certainly an unexplained phenomena, namely cryptozoology, which is the study of creatures that may or may not exist, and also ufology, which is unidentified flying objects. And therein lies my, uh, my direct research. Uh-huh. I know that Maureen loves UFOs. Yes, unlike Ron. <laughs> <laughs> but I am definitely a crypto guy. I definitely am. Yeah, and yeah. You uh, walk a little on an animal. Yeah, I, when I was a kid, I used to take animals and dissect them and put them back together different ways. Oh, that's nasty. Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, I was just helping evolution along. That's the way I looked yeah, at it. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually doing a little bit of research about you. I hope you don't mind. That's okay. Um, and I actually came across something that was, you know, amazing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Really interesting. The Los Angeles Air Raid. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. I'm, I'm looking right now with the, I'm trying to see, the, it's uh, New England UFO Group. Well, why don't, why don't you but explain like, a little bit what yeah. the hell the Los Angeles Air Raid was? I mean, I, I assume yeah. it wasn't the, the football team up there. No, no it's a... I'll just set it up, Maureen. Way to go. She's holding the football run. All I have to do is kick it through the uprights. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, I, I love World War II lore, and there's been a lot of phantom invasions. And in February, February 25th, 1942, nearly 1,500 rounds of anti-aircraft fire were fired at an object that hovered over Los Angeles. Um, there, I have countless uh, accounts by high-up brass in the Air Force, the Army Air Force at that time, the Army uh, and the Coastal uh, Service that saw the object, and some described it as a blimp. 
Others described it as uh, a dozen discoidal objects, and some even described them as looking like airplanes. Now, the problem is Pearl Harbor, the one-off Japanese attack, happened on December 7, 1941. So They were a little the best, edgy, to say the least. Absolutely. Yes, no, no doubt about it. Absolutely, Maury. And I went and started investigating newspaper reports of the day after Pearl Harbor um, on December 8th, December 9th, and December 10th, 1941. And what did I uncover? New York had an air raid on December 8th and December 9th, 1941. The air raid sirens went off in Boston on the same days. San Francisco reported overflights really? on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, it's just it's anomalous stuff, and it really angered me that this has been kicked under the rug for so long and, and written off as, oh, it was just a blimp. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, any blimp that can withstand, withstand 1,500 rounds of ACAC is, is one heck of a blimp. And it wasn't a blimp. And I don't think it was Japanese aircraft. I don't think it was the German America bomber, which is a long-range bomber right, of right. engines weapons that uh, Hitler was working on. And it stands as it was an never anomalous completed, though. What was that? The America bomber was never completed. Right. Exactly, Ron. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. And um, there was rumor for years that one had flown in 44, I believe, that it come within 50 miles or so of the New England or New York coastline and then turned around because it was just laden with fuel right. and uh, they just wanted to prove that they could do it. But it's an anomalous incident, and I think it kicks off the dawn of modern UFOlogy, the Los Angeles air raid. Um, it, and it's, uh, you've got, if you look into it, Maureen, you'll see lieutenants, colonels, saying that they saw this object. Um, the, the real battle be, uh, happened uh, just before 3 in the morning on the 25th, uh, and six people died, three from falling shrapnel, yeah. two from heart attack, oh. and one from a car accident. Unbelievable. So, and to me, it's, and it's fascinating. And that precedes something known as Foo Fighters. And Foo yep. Fighters were the um, globular objects that were seen, we found out, by both sides. In fact, Japanese, German, and American pilots and British pilots saw these globular lights. Some were cigar-shaped. And um, they coined it after a comic strip, a pogo at the time. He used to say, where there's food, there's fire. They called them Foo Fighters. Of course, Dave Grohl picked it up on his band and has a kick-it band by the same name. And then at the end of the war, if I could just wrap up here, is we had encounters known as Scandinavian Ghost Rocket. Now, Project Paperclip and, and, and Firefly and getting the German scientists out of Germany, there was a race. Russia was capturing these guys. We were offering them asylum in the U.S. And... In 46, there were a barrage of rockets, high-altitude rockets seen emanating from Scandinavia, namely Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and they were unaccounted for. And that all precedes the Kenneth Arnold incident of June 24, 1947. And uh, I'm kind of excited because my wife and I are traveling out to Mount Rainier next week, and that's where, where allegedly it all began. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Now, you, you caught my attention with something. I really wasn't familiar with it, but when you talked about the, you know, the globular, um, mm -hmm. what was it described as? I mean, you know, for someone who's sitting here listening and, they, you know, you're saying that there's just, what is it, just light, or was it something that was transparent that, you know, different shapes and actually light emanated from it? Yes, 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 yes. He's <laughs> right in all accounts. Um, you're ghost researchers, and you're familiar with orbs. You're familiar with will-o'-the-wisp, jack-o'-lantern, um, uh, um, smoke lights, they're called. Right. And some of these were described as accompanying the B-17s uh, in a raid into Schweinfurt, Germany, into the, uh, the heart of the Ruhr district, into the, uh, the steel and ball-bearing factories. Um, others in Dresden on the incendiary raids by the B-24s. 
saw these basketball size, sometimes beach ball size, mm-hmm. sometimes garage size globular balls that would accompany them. There'd be electromagnetic or static interference on their radio. And on some cases, some of the engines actually cut out. Um, and uh, they were seen on countless raids. There's some great books that are out. One's called Military UFOs by Keith Chester. And he does a wonderful job of, of summarizing all of these food fighters. Um, it's called Strange Company by Keith Chester. And I recommend that to you, Maureen, if you're interested in Ron in this phenomenon in that time period. What a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a very fascinating period in our time. And people like to attribute the UFO phenomena, the modern-day UFO phenomena, to three things, that, they, that if there are UFOs and if they are coming and visiting this planet, that we attracted them through the advent of radar, the usage of nuclear weapons, and then the advent of the jet engine, meaning that we could get off this mud ball and get into the heavens and, and confront them. So um, I think that they've been coming for, for a long, long time. There's been unidentified flying objects, and you can see them in, in um, art of the Middle Ages and art of the Renaissance as well. Well, so you know, I, I had a nuclear test, so I figured that's what's really attracting them because I glow in the dark now. No, did, would you go by Pilgrim Power Plant? And <laughs> yeah, well, no, you know, it's one of those nuclear stress tests. So I, I mean, if you go on Google Earth, in fact, if you see a bright spot by the New Hampshire border, <laughs> that would be me. Well, Don't you go know, lying you, anytime soon. You say that jokingly, Ron, but seriously, you know, let me ask but you this, seriously. John. Yeah, you know, I, I will have to say, John, you know, I think it's all perspective, right? So right. Did someone, I go on a dock as perspective? Yeah, no, not, not that. Oh. But... For someone who, just, just like when you talk to someone about ghosts, right? Yeah. Um, if you have no reference, no point of reference to have this believability of it, it's so far from your ability to perceive it that you push it away, right? So, well, my, you know, my thing is, for years, I've, I had never believed in it. Seriously, I always was, it was the spirits and ghosts. Not that I never believed, but I didn't have anything to judge it from, no perspective. I did have an experience, which I won't go over on the air. Sometime we'll chat about it. Um, and I will tell you, it terrified me to the point for months, 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 months. And wow, 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 don't wow. laugh, Ron, because seriously, it made me an instant believer in, in that there's much more out there that, you know, uh, that are coming in, checking out our planet, let's say, that, you know, we just think, you know, we're on our own little Earth and that's it, and that's, there's nothing else. But to me... Um, unless you experience it, you really have nothing to, to judge it by. And Maureen, you want to tell us, don't you? You want to tell us about that. I will tell uh, you another time. Actually, you know what? We <laughs> we really got away from uh, where, we the progr- about, the, where yeah. the program was going tonight. Yes, we want to talk about John. UFOs. So, see, this freaks Ron out. If we were in the beginning. You know, if we followed the uh, opening of the show, we were going to talk about... We were going to talk about the <laughs> Wampanoag Swamp and a great thing that John actually is leading an expedition in the uh, Wampanoag Swamp. Really? The Wampanoag Swamp. Yeah, whatever. When is <laughs> now, when is that? Is that in August? Yes, August 2nd. Um, we developed something known as the Mass Mystery Tour. And in this, in this bad economy, in this day-to-day lives, we get caught up behind our computers, and we don't really get a chance to... Uh, to get out into the world, it seems, sometimes. Uh, and this is an opportunity to, to get Chris Pittman, who some consider to be the godfather of the, um, the Bridgewater Triangle. 
He's actually making an appearance. I thought he was like Howard Hughes or something. He was like this reclusive. Exactly. Uh, he's uh, he's actually going to be coming out um, and um, talking about the Hockamock Swamp. Now, Chris has been That's investigating amazing. this along with your friend Christopher Balzano oh, for yeah. about 10 years. And I heard you mention Jeff Belanger. Jeff's also done extensive research and written about this place. Um, over the years. And um, if, if you listen to, to popular folklore, the Devil's Swamp, or Hockamock Swamp, is in the heart of the alleged Bridgewater Triangle, the aforementioned, which um, is a 200-mile, square-mile area. And the Hockamock Swamp encompasses about 5,200 acres of swampland, and it's got briar, thicket, poison ivy, mosquitoes the size of sparrows, um, uh, poison sumac. Um, oh, nice. You've got out-of-place animals like alligators that have been found there, giant snakes, alligator snappers, uh, um, and uh, coyotes, fisher cats. Um, I don't think a bear's been seen there, but certainly I saw a cougar when I lived in Easton for three years. Um, and, and those are the tangible creatures, the creatures that are called out-of-place animals, animals that you don't expect to see in a certain area. And those have been documented. And then you move to the crypto creatures, which are um, black dogs, uh, a giant black dog. Uh, if you're familiar with the legend of black dogs, especially in, in British folklore, it's a portent of evil. They're called hellhounds. And in, in the U.K., including Ireland, there's a tradition of people that have seen black dogs. They happen just to death, actually. Really? Yeah. Really? We actually talked about that on Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix, and I forget who it guessed with at the time, but... I brought out that I, when I go to the U.K., I want to definitely explore the moors, and we were talking about the hounds of Baskerville and, and the hellhounds, and, uh, yeah, they said that they have believed this harbingers of death. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. hopefully you don't see one. Is that what we're saying? No, I want to see one. Well, the only black dog I want to see is the bar on Martha's Vineyard, Ron. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Bottoms yeah, up. Too. <laughs> yeah. That's a dog that you, you don't die the next day, but your head is hurting. For sure. That's right. <laughs> you, can, you can recover very quickly. So, yes. so what are you going to do on this expedition? That's what I want to find out. I know Chris Pittman's going, that's simply amazing. But uh, right. what are you doing with it? Uh, he was a bit reserved and uh, hesitant to, to lead this expedition. And now you can do one or two ways. You can hack in through the brush with a machete between your teeth and a, mm-hmm. and a, and a crocodile Dundee hat and, and, and a, a you know, high-caliber rifle and a, a, a pistol and bear spray and all that. And um, like I told people, if you want to do that, I'll be with the search helicopters. I'll be sure to look them in. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll be sleeping in my bed that night, but you have yourself a ball. And Chris has done that extreme ex- ex- expedition. But what I wanted to do, and what myself, Chris Pittman, Elizabeth Russell, who you know from Bay State Paranormal Center. Absolutely great person. Absolutely. A writer, Kristen Good, and then Derek Gunn, who's uh, an archaeological anomalies expert. Five of us, you know, five would like to take a tour in, but I want to take it on a beaten path so that a, a, a senior citizen could go in. The key is you have to be able to, you're going to get a little wet, a little muddy, but we're not going to go in waist-deep swamp water where we're picking off slugs off each other's necks. Um, it's, we're going to stay on a, on, a, on a defined trail, and you know, there are going to be invernal tide pools and, and puddles and take you into a remote area um, where um, there's been some paranormal phenomena and where there's, I'll call them, um, cryptozoological entities, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to really? spoil it. And, uh one of those that you've been talking about, Ron, and you know a great deal about the hellhounds, the black dogs, 
the one that, that is most commonly referred to when you're talking about the Bridgewater Triangle, and it was brought to the Americans' attention in 1983 through the book Mysterious America by Lauren Coleman. But in 1976, there was a series or a spate of sightings of, allegedly, of this large black dog uh, in the town of Abington in and around the area of Island Grove. Now, depending upon who you talk to, for instance, Kristen Good, who's accompanying us on the tour, she was around at that time, and she disputes some of the accounts. But the long and short of it was a dog was seen, quote, ripping out the throat of a pony. Ah. And and it was about a two- or three-week uh, flap where this happened in Abington in 1976, and then it ended. Hmm. So that's one of the cryptozoological creatures in the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, that's just horrible. It oh, is horrible. How many Dog ponies must die? Yeah, I know yeah. it. Exactly. And then the, the other creature that's seen there, and you guys probably know something about this, is the Thunderbird, right? Actually, I was hoping you would mention that because I, I listened to that little bit. I, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Thunderbird, as okay. we like to call it. Right. Well, the Thunderbird is, is basically um, a pterosaur or pterodactyl thrown back in time or brought forward to the modern time. Um, one of the classic stories was in 1976, four school teachers were driving to school in Texas, and a shadow went over their car, and then it went over again, and one of them looked up and saw this huge bird circling a few hundred feet over their head. So when they, they all saw it, when they got to school that day, they found it in a, uh, an encyclopedia, and it was a pterodactyl. And they've been seen in South America, some uh, African countries. And allegedly in the Bridgewater Triangle, there are basically three encounters. One where a woman says uh, something came at, at the side window of her car. That was the most recently, uh, recent one. Another where uh, two were seen fighting or in some, some sort of aerial combat over the Hockamock Swamp. And then the, the most uh, famous incident took place in a place called Bird's Hill or Bird Hill and Mansfield, the Mansfield Eastern Line. And again, it was a quarter mile down from where I used to live. A man by the name of Thomas Downey, a police officer, was heading home in his car off duty at the end of a shift when uh, this pterodon or pterodactyl-like figure landed in front of his car. He had to spring it to a halt and the thing had glowing eyes and flapped away. And uh, a researcher named Matt Moniz and I located the exact spot. And we both looked at each other and saying, this could have happened here because it's a strange spot at the peak crest of a hill. It's along a clear cut. Uh, there are uh, high-tension wires there. And, and as you know, paranormal phenomena tends to, and again, I'm talking from a cryptozoological sense, tends to uh, bunch up or congregate near high power lines or near electrical power sources. So that's what a Thunderbird is, and it's, it's, it's uh, really neat and, uh, that a dinosaur so, uh, are claiming to see a dinosaur that's allegedly been extinct for millions of years. They're seeing it in the skies. Uh, now, no one's really got pictures of it, right? They've basically just um, had experiences where they've seen it? or Right. The, the only one that's that, uh, Lauren Coleman, and if I can go back to him, because he's the, he's the, the dean of the Bridgewater Triangle, is Chris yep. Pittman's the god of the Hockamock Swamp. And uh, he had a story in Lawndale, Illinois, in 1977, the Lawndale Thunderbird, it's called. And Marlon Lowe, I believe the kid's name, was playing out back, and Mom was washing the dishes, looking through the kitchen window, you know, as she watches dishes, and sees her son's sneakers go flying by the window. Some giant bird picked up this poor sap by his shoulders and <gasps> carried him several feet before dropping him. So, uh... <laughs> now that's interesting. How big was he? Um, I, I, 
I don't have the exact dimensions uh, for the Lawndale Thunderbird, but the kid was like 10 years old. Oh, my God. You know? So that was, that was probably the Eastern Condor. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. The Turkey Vulture. Turkey Vulture. Yeah, the Turkey Vulture. Yeah. Made by McDonnell Douglas. Yeah, or McDonald's Turkey Burgers or whatever. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, so those are two major creatures that are seen um, in the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, I've been part of the Eastern... I'm Eric Sullivan, sports anchor at CBS 19. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I wore Roger Starbucks jersey. Four consecutive pitcher days when I was in elementary school. Cowboys in Indians. 11 to noon Central. Tuesdays on Togi. I'm Eric Williams, third generation NFL player, Super Bowl winner from the Washington Redskins. I've been in the trenches. I know what I'm talking about, especially when I'm going to get some spiked hair cowboy groupie. Cowboys in Indians. Get the lowdown. Yeah, you want to be in the thick of it. I, you know, that's what you no, want. I know how hard it is. Okay, no, well, I don't give me this. What have you done lately? But, Every NFL team hasn't done anything okay, lately. but they have the most talented team in the NFL. Get the smackdown. You are absolutely nuts. Are you kidding me? You've been hitting the head too many times in those trenches, my friend. Cowboys and Indians. 11 to noon Central. Tuesdays on Toginet. Radio with a cutting edge. Bridgewater Triangle, John Horrigan joined by Christopher Balzano. Puckwudgies? Puckwudgies seem to be the last living remnants of the Wampanoag legends. Puckwudgies themselves are small troll-like creatures, probably no taller than a foot and a half to two feet. They look much like a Wampanoag if you were to crush them and make them compact. Originally, they were kind of indifferent towards the Wampanoags, and they never really bothered with them one way or the other. Somewhere along the line, they turned against the Wampanoag and began to go from practical jokes to just plain slaughter. So back in the day, they were known to ravage villages, kidnap small children, to shoot people with poison arrows, lure people to places like the ledge, and force people to jump off the cliff to their death below. And then every time someone died, they basically gained control of their spirit and would draw other Native Americans in by these bright, round lights, which we today, as paranormal investigators, we call them orbs. Back in the day, they called them the spirits of the dead. People have continued to see these puckwudgies 
all throughout the years, and their appearance seems to be more frequent now than it was 20, 30 years ago. People have seen them in the forest, usually by accident. For one reason or another, they see the orbs that are supposed to be the spirits of the dead Wampanoags in the area. They follow it, and they come upon this Pukwudgie in the woods. They always run, because he's just, even though he's small like that, he seems scary. In some people's description, he almost looks like a small werewolf, and he has more of a canine-type nose. But he always makes his presence known afterwards. For example, one person told me that uh, twice since seeing the Pukwudgie in the woods... They have woken up to see the same figure outside of their window, staring in at them, smiling. Seems to be the best example of a legend jumping off the page and into someone's house. Another person who witnessed the Pukwudgie saw him crossing up the path in front of him and followed him slightly into the woods before, after only going a few feet, he was lost yards, dozens of yards into the woods and couldn't find his way out. It was almost as if he had stepped into some sort of vortex or time slip where he became completely lost in the woods after only going a very short distance. A few months after that, he was at the forest trying to clear his mind at night, the way teenagers do sometimes, looked in his rearview mirror and saw the Pukwudgie standing slightly behind his car, once again looking at him smiling as if to say, I see you and I know who you are. Expanding the Bridgewater Triangle, John Horrigan joined by Christopher Balzano. Puckwudgies? These puckwudgies basically ran wild until the creator god of the Wampanoags returned after being kind of trapped underwater for a while. His wife came and said, you need to do something about these puckwudgies. They're destroying everything. So he called upon his five sons to get rid of the puckwudgies. The five sons, they tried to flush them all out. They ended up in a large field in the grass, in the high grass, and thought they could ambush the Pukwudgies. But the Pukwudgies were smarter than them. And they forced the giants to stand up. They shot them with poison arrows and killed each and every one of them. These are known as five of the islands that are in Cape Cod. What is said is that the father became so enraged that he decided rather than dealing, he was just going to completely wipe them out. So he and his wife went around slaughtering as many as they could, squashing them underfoot, throwing them up in the air and batting them with his hand, um, ripping them in half. He basically unleashed his full rage upon them. You would think him being a giant and them being no taller than a small child that they would have easily perished. But instead, they trapped him into the water, shot him with a poison arrow, and the story goes that he either uh, left or died. Oddly enough, time-wise... His disappearance corresponds with the arrival of the Puritans from England. So many people believe that somehow this legend is attached or foresees the slaughter of the Wampanoag several years later by the British as they come over. An odd thing happens around that time, too. Pukwudgies stop becoming associated with Native American traditions and all of a sudden seem to be under the leadership of the devil. So the, the legends themselves go from these Pukwudgies acting on their own to being directed by the devil, the capital D devil, to perform these acts against the Wampanoag. So it's basically Puritan beliefs mixing with these Wampanoag traditions to form this bond between the devil and the Pukwudgies, the Native American bad guy, to form 
this Well, evening. you are back. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles Live on Toginet. And the number here is 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869. Or join us live in the Toji chat room. And our very special guest today is Mr. John Hargan. Horrigan, Horrigan, Horrigan. And anyways, <laughs> that Mr. Horrigan is probably the most infamous creature in the Bridgewater Triangle, the Pukwudgie. Yep, yep, Christopher Balzano. That's young Chris's baby. He's the one that did the uh, research on that. Um, I always found that to be a freaky story. And uh, as he harkens back to the Wampanoag Indians and the Native Americans that battled the settlers, during King Philip's War of 16 and 75 and 1676. And a lot of uh, battles or atrocities took place in said Bridgewater Triangle where there were beheadings, um, castrations, uh, uh, scalpings, uh, mutilations, um, and just butchery on both sides. And that's, Chris will tell you that that's one of the reasons he feels that there's a lot of just a bad vibe, for lack of a better term, in the Bridgewater Triangle. And that Pukwudgie story, I, I, I find, is frightening. These large-headed creatures, midgets, um, that walk around with, like, spears, I guess, and they, they try to catch up. Chris could tell you more about it. but it oh, we, even... we actually have first-hand knowledge of them. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. We, we led an expedition in search of the Pukwudgies. And oh, if, you go, if, you go, if you go on iTunes, you can actually hear that expedition. It's on Ghost Chronicles on iTunes, the Pukwudgie one. And you can see video of Maureen actually channeling the Pukwudgie on our website, anyghostproject.com, if you go in the video section. Wow. Oh, yeah. Pukwudgies, uh, everybody is, is absolutely enthralled by them. But anyways, uh, I just had to add that in. I didn't realize it was so long ago. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. But anyways, um, John, you, you have a couple of events. I want to get those in before we forget. And, and one of them is the Swamp and Knock uh, whatever it is, expedition. <laughs> the swamp knock. Yeah, what, <laughs> the hog swamp. The pucko, wucko, whatever it is. Uh, I like swamp knock better. Where, where, can, <laughs> where, where can people sign up for that, baby? Okay, now I have a website that I just launched literally about a half hour before I went on the air with you guys. It's oh, massmysterytour.com, M-A-S-S-M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y-T-O-U-R.com, massmysterytour.com. And if they click on the hockamock Swap Tour link, the other links are dead right now, they'll see um, that we have one seat left or one slot really? left out. Yes, we, had, we wanted to fill 25, and we had 24 signed up as we speak to you tonight. Excellent. Wow, very good. Yeah. Yeah, now, so. I just wanted to say, John, that I just looked at your um, the link that you put on the chat room just to let you know that there's a wine missing here. So oh. that, that link, I don't know if it's written correctly. Oh, oh Okay, for the uh, Mass Mystery Tour? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll do it again. Just take a, just and anyways, John, if you email me that, I'll link it to my website, and hopefully you'll link mine as well. Okay, great. Excellent. Thank okay. you. So, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so this is kind of cool, and um, Mass Mystery Tours, and you also do a thing, uh, which is, uh, I think it's it's a New England tradition, and that is the Monster Mash. Oh, thank you. It's a New England tradition, too, Ronnie, for me to, to lose thousands of dollars around that time of the year as well. So. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, doesn't the state of Massachusetts do that? So why shouldn't you be any different? Sure, absolutely. But, hey, it, it's, as people have described it, it's a, it's a, a paranormal ham and bean supper without the ham and beans. You know? <laughs> well, I don't, know about, I don't know about the ham. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of ham. And, uh, and I guess there's, there's a lot of gas 
but but we won't go there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but we'll leave that out, you know. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is the fourth year. Um, it was born on Friday the thirteenth, two thousand and six, and Chris Pittman and Christopher Balzano were the keynote speakers that night. And um, throughout the last few years, Lauren Coleman has been a guest speaker speaking on the Dover Demon and Mothman. Uh, Jeff Belanger about paranormal Massachusetts uh, and the world's most haunted places. And both of those guys are returning this year. Coleman's going to talk about the abominable snowman, the adventures of Tom Slick. And <laughs> Jeff Belanger will be talking about Haunted White House. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, as you know, Jeff just blows you away on stage, one of the greatest speakers I've ever seen. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I've taught him everything he knows. Oh, my God. Oh, did you? Yeah? Yes, I have. Yeah, right. just I wouldn't believe that, yeah. but anyway. That's anyway, um, and so how, if someone wanted to sign up for that, where, where would they find that information? Um, okay, they can go to Mass Monster Mash, and I'll put that link in, MassMonsterMash.com. That's M-A-S-S, and I'll put it in the, uh, the chat room, M-A-S-S-M-O-N-S-T-E-R-M-A-S-H-S-H.com. Well, I really screwed that one up. How am I? MassMonsterMash.com. I do that so people don't worry about it. Yeah. So that, that's where they can go. And, and uh, some other guests we have uh, are going to be uh, Christopher Balzano returns to New England. Really? Um, yep, yep. We're flying Chris up from Fort Myers. Is, is he uh, actually going to get the uh, the right weekend this year? I know. I, I, I don't know how that happened last year. We were, <laughs> he that's came up awful. a week early, and uh, I felt bad because I was trying to you know get him on the uh, on the docket. But right. he's going to do something known as outside the lines of the Bridgewater Triangle, meaning that you don't have to stay in the the, the your prototypical triangle in order to get some really wild and weird stories mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. And he's going to um, talk about that. And then Nick Redfern, the famous author Nick Redfern, R-E-D-F-E-R-N, is going to be talking about Chupacabra. Go oh, yeah, it. yeah, Chupacabra, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to it. That's Saturday, October 17th, 6 o'clock. Uh, at, in the uh, Hibernian Hall in Watertown, you're both invited. You know, we'll give you table space uh, for the for the radio show, whatever you want. Just uh, keep we in touch with that. me, and I think you'd have a good time. And uh, uh, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to uh, at least bring some stuff that you haven't heard before. I think uh, I think Nick Redford might, might be the guy to do that for you. That would be great. Then, we'll have to the, check our the schedule. Chipper, the <laughs> Chippewaka. Yeah, I want to go see one of those Chippewakas. <laughs> yeah, first you got to learn how to say it, Ron. Yeah, no, I, no, I, you know, I think that's cool. What, what, what you're doing, John, is you're, you're combining all the paranormal. You're combining the cryptozoology, the ghosts, the UFOs, the, UFOs, the Bigfoots. You know, Ron speaking and, of Bigfoot, Ron and Maureen. You know, it's hey. all there. like you said, yeah. Ron, hey. Bigfoot. Anyway, um, you know, a little bit more no, research. Hey, <laughs> um, I noticed that there was sightings as told. To John Harrigan by David Smith of Keene, New Hampshire, and wow. there is a link that has the Granite State Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. Um, that looks wow. like your husband. It, Can I tell it, you about that one? <laughs> hey, I think it's a really cool picture. I mean, um, it, I don't, it looks like a big monkey, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Big ape. I mean, it really does. And don't say it looks like my husband, Ron. I didn't say which life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. But um, the uh, the website on that, I mean, is it okay to give that out? It must absolutely, be, yeah. It's the uh, www.massmonstermash.org forward slash dsbf.html. So oh, for God's sake, who the hell is going to remember that? Well, when they go, right, they put it down. DSBF, right, Grand State DSBF, Bigfoot. DSBF, yep, Grand State Bigfoot. 
Um, very cool. You know, so can you tell us a little about that? Or Sure, absolutely. Um, in, in September of 1998, and I just put it in there now, it's in the chat room. In September of 1998, this guy by the name of David Smith from Keene, New Hampshire, contacted me with a bunch of Bigfoot stories. And I've been baited before, and I learned um, back in the 90s that I, you can hoax anybody. Anybody right. can be hoaxed, and it can live on in lore forever. So I went out and personally met the guy. He was um, a bald man with a tattooed mustache. I'm say a what? A, a tattooed mustache. His mustache, mustache was tattooed on his face. I, I yeah. heard him. I just, well, right, I didn't believe it. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I, Maureen, I, 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 I bet the ladies love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he told me a bunch of stories in and around the southwestern corner of New Hampshire, up around the 202 uh, section of um, western Massachusetts. Yep, been there. Yep, near the Monadnock region. Absolutely. Which, yes, yep. Do you know that's the most climbed mountain in the world? Really? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. And, and they also tell me there's a lot of uh, paranormal activity there. Mm, interesting. So, so one of the stories that he told me, amongst other ones, was, um, there's a couple I'll tell you. I'll tell you this first one. He's working as a cab dispatcher. And, you know, one night you go out and drive, the other night you dispatch. Cold March night. And uh, her, the woman that he was working with, BJ, she was dropping off for a final fare of the night, a little after 2 in the morning, and she tried to take a shortcut. She was near Sullivan, New Hampshire, and she got lost on one of these old logging roads. Right. So she went up the logging road, did a three-point turn to turn around, she backed into a tree. And as she put on her brakes and her reverse lights, she noticed that tree was furry. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. And then, then, and then she said she tried to, to drive out, and she felt the thing bump on top of her roof rack and try to rip off the roof rack. And she wow. peeled out. That one kind of pissed me off, too, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's a, new way, me. a new way to grab a taxi. Yeah. Wow, huh? <laughs> Good one, John. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, she calls into the dispatcher, David, and says, I think I just saw one of those squash squashes. That's, that's your type of terminology, Ronnie, there. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and that, you know, it's a cool story. I called it the taxi grabber. That's one of my, my, my uh, best stories. Um, the other one was about uh, wildlife officials coming to this house near a train tracks and telling the woman that not to go outside, lock all the doors, and stay inside her house. And as she does, about three minutes after that happens, she looks up on the train tracks and sees, and she described the thing as, quote, motivating, whatever that means, but she saw from the shoulders down to about the kneecaps this gigantic furry bipedal ape run by on the tracks. It was obscured by some of the branches, and then the, uh, the wildlife people with guns and dogs in tow following the thing down the tracks. So Sounds like Wally Coyote to me. <laughs> exactly. So those are just some of the, the stories um, that came out of there, and I haven't heard anything from David Smith in 11 years. I went up with a researcher, Craig Heinzelman, in September of 1998, where some kids were partying out in the woods, and they, they allegedly encountered some sort of uh, furry man-beast anthropoid nine feet in height. But uh, there's tradition of Bigfoot all over New England. Um, there were sightings in the 19th century in Vermont and in Maine. Um, there was uh, in, I'll get to the Bridgewater one in a moment, but in Hollis, New Hampshire, 1977, a man by the name of Gerald St. Louis and his sons was in a camper, uh, the night before a flea market, just trying to get the primo spot. You know how it is with a taunt and flea yeah. there. And um, something shook the camper violently, such that back and forth they were thrown 
to the side to side, and, and he, when he went outside and threw on the, the lamp on the side of the uh, 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 camper, he saw something amble over, jump over a fence and off, go off into the woods. And that's, uh, there was another account uh, by a woman, Kathleen, I want to say Davis, I'm not sure, who also said that there was a, a Bigfoot encounter um, close by where she saw some sort of uh, creature go by her home. And then that moves us to the um, April of 1970 sightings in Bridgewater. I went to Bridgewater State College. I lived um, in Eastern Mass. In fact, I announced a, a Bridgewater Gladiators football game the other night um, uh-huh. in the Eastern Football League. So I'm familiar with the area. And basically, in the Teachers College, there was a Bigfoot flap from, 18, uh, from 1969 through 1970. And I've been to these areas. And one of the cases had, it depends on who's telling it, but had a police officer and a cruiser, uh, and he, he had been... Re- there to investigate sightings of a bipedal bear being seen in the neighborhood. People had heard noises. They smelled things. Uh, uh, they had seen this thing run through their yards. So as he was sitting in his cruiser, something allegedly picked up the back end of his cruiser, you know, something out of a scene in American Graffiti, and shook the bumper, and he said he saw some sort of bipedal bear run around a house. And that's known as the Bridgewater. I've dubbed it the Bridgewater bumper shaker. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so there are a lot. Damn. Of, too bad there wasn't a baby on it. Could have been a baby bumper shaper. <laughs> well, no, then you go away. To, you go. Uh, you become a British nanny at that point. I think if it's a baby bumper shaker. Oh, yeah, that would work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so um, there are a lot of Bigfoot sightings in and around New England, and uh, I try to tell people the, the Bigfoot hotspot. And I've heard a couple of stories come out of this is along Route 16. In the T area, I call it, which is where Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts meet. We do a semicircle around there, 15 square miles. That, to me, uh, near Douglas State Forest, is a hot spot right now. So if anybody wants to go out and try to see Bigfoot or track it, I'm telling you, I'm getting out there. I'm getting too old and too fat, but that's where you want to go. You want to go in that area uh, near Thompson. And uh, I'll close with this Bigfoot story if I have time. Do I have time for one more? Absolutely. Yes, you do. Great. Um, it's in East Thompson, Connecticut. Um, a woman calls me, and she was very sincere. Um, she lived with her two children, raised uh, uh, chickens in a barn, had a, a bit of a little farm, and she loved her horse. Well, something was leaving massive footprints in her in her garden, half-eaten tomatoes. Uh, 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 she found hair samples on top of a fence, which was about a six-foot fence, and then something was going into her barn, unlatching, uh, the, 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 the doorknob, so it had to have an opposable thumb, and taking her chickens and literally ripping their heads off. Now, you've got nice. either an, ang- an angry teenager, right, that's not getting it, yeah. <laughs> you take it out on somebody, or um, you've got some sort of primate, uh, uncatalogued primate. Well, a couple of weeks later, she's out on her horse, a few miles north of Thompson, Connecticut, and her horse gets spooked, and she had that, that feeling, that pervading feeling of being watched. There was an electromagnetic static, she said, and she felt in the air, and then that rotten eggs, that sulfur methane smell she could smell. And the, the horse threw her. She finally got the horse, and they, they galloped out of there, and she said it so strained the horse's heart that the horse died within two weeks. Oh. So, yeah. How yeah, many so horses must die? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's another story. I, I'd go on and on and on, but, but to me, the Bigfoot uh, is not just in the Pacific Northwest. It's not just in the Himalayas. Um, with the Yeti, that virtually every state in the country, with the exception, they say, of Rhode Island, has had a Bigfoot encounter. Yeah, well, who would go to Rhode Island anyway? <laughs> but anyway, John, the one thing that's really cool about you is that you've actually traveled around 
to quite a few of the the mystical places, the places where things have happened, where sightings have been, and uh, yeah. what has been the most interesting place that you've gone to? Well, I would have to say that uh, I, my favorite places were um, uh, going out at UFO hunting. Um, in my trip to Area 51 in 1995, mm-hmm. where I went out with three friends, um, and we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we thought we could go out and see this mystery base. It was before it had become part of the public pop culture. And I went out with a, a trained stunt driver, another military man, uh, and then a, a videographer, a great producer, and myself. Well, we got tied up at this place called the Little Alien, and we had a few too many Budweiser's. The so Little Alien? To, yeah. yeah. And we decided to drive down Mailbox Road, which is the road adjacent to the Medellin Ranch, and you got to go about 13 miles in on a, uh, a semi-traversable dirt road. Well, we get into the deadly force, force will be authorized sign, Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend Larry, and I have to tell if he's tactful about this, let's just say that he relieves himself on the sign. Oh, no. Yeah, yes. And boom, headlights go on on one ridge. <laughs> boom, headlights on another ridge. <laughs> boom, headlights down the road. And I'm about to do what Larry was going to do, but except in my pants. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, let's get out of here. So we jump in the car, and Dan, the, the stunt driver, has a throw little smile on his face. This is what he'd been looking for. He'd been... You know, really uh, just moody the whole week, but he was in his glory there. Yeah. And then Larry looked around, and I'm in the back seat, and I'm just looking full straight ahead. And Larry said the most terrifying words. He said, they're closing on us. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they're, they're in this type of Jeep Cherokee. They're called camo dudes, and they come up alongside us, and they're pointing with a flashlight to Dan to get over, to pull over. And Dan shakes them off, and Dan... Gets them, it's like a bad NASCAR race now. They're driving <laughs> right behind us. And finally, we reached the Medellin Ranch outside of their jurisdiction, and they turned off. Dan had beat them. But he'd also beaten up our rental car. We'd broken the front axle. Um, <gasps> it took us five and a half or six hours to get back to Vegas, which is normally a two-and-a-half-hour trip. Um, thank God we took out the full insurance. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it probably cost you a pretty penny. Well, the insurance was good because we brought the uh, car back to Avis in like four separate boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get credit four times? Or? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I've been to the Pacific Northwest, uh, hunting Bigfoot, Ohio, Washington, Oregon. I've been to Loch Ness, searching for the Loch Ness Monster. Lake I know, Champagne. I saw that. I thought that was cool. I tried that myself. L- Loch Ness? I, I went to Loch Ness. Oh, cool. I went to Scotland and Ireland. I went really? to Loch Ness. Well, 94. But I have That's to tell you, I you. Yeah, I know. But I have to tell you, I didn't find him. No, yeah. nor, nor did I. Nor did I. I did yeah. see him. Um, Why don't you UFO buddies pick him up? I'll keep it up, Ron. You're just sitting too close to me for that. Get <laughs> <laughs> him. More important because he just made fun of the UFO people. I know. Anyway, I guess Wait a minute. I don't have to make fun of them. They do it themselves. Oh, oh isn't he awful? <laughs> One of the things we're going to do at the Monster Mash this year is it's the 75th anniversary of that famous Loch Ness Monster yep. photo. Yep. So, so we're going to make fun of it, Ron. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're probably going to lynch me if I show up. That's what um, I'm thinking. Can I, yeah, I will probably help, too. For yeah. free. Yeah. For free, John. And then just finally, you guys, uh, some other areas where I travel. The San Luis Valley, studying yep. cattle mutilation oh. uh, with Chris O'Brien. Uh, Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia, and Keckburg, Pennsylvania, where two UFO crashes allegedly happened. I'd love and then to go to Shag Harbor. Mexico. 
in Roswell. So, so I've, I've, I've been around, maxed out the credit cards, paid them off, and then I moved on in life. You know? There you go. Well, John, I hate to say this, but we pretty much run out of time with you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. We want to uh, thank you so much for coming on the you show. So much. You were quite interesting and, and most amusing. We'd love oh, to have you, you back on. Oh, I'd love to be back on. Yeah, we will definitely do that again. Uh, maybe we can, you know what? Well, I'll talk to you anyways, but uh, we want to thank you so much for, for being on and, uh, you know, keep up the good work. Thank once you very again, much. Once again, good luck on the uh, Swamp It Mugga Mugga expedition. <laughs> yes, have Swamp fun. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, have a good night. Thanks, John. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Are you wow. ever going to get that swamp name right? I don't know. I can't get Puckwogie right. The Huckamock Swamp? can't even get Puckwogie right, but never mind what that is. It uh, years to get your name right. And thank only you. one syllable. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that was another show. That was cool. It was. I mean, he was a fantastic guest. Yeah, I'd love to have him back. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that monster mashy thingy. If that... Oh, whatever. We'll see. Is the music on? Because I can't hear any music. No, it's not. Okay, we you're... still have a couple minutes. It's still five up. All right. That's good. Um, the couple things I did want to address is, once again, Richard Felix is coming over here. He is my co-host, co-host on Ghost Chronicles International, which is on Tuesdays. At on 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock on TojiNet and Pararex Radio. So uh, if you're not doing anything, uh, tune in. And also we have, which is kind of cool, we have uh, little players on the website so you can listen to past episodes of the uh, both this show and uh, International, which is kind of cool. And we have a new, new Tojinet has put up a new website, which I, I think is going to be by the end of next week, which will have uh, future guests on it and a lot of links and stuff that when we have a guest on, you'll be able to uh, get a hold of all that information pretty quick. So anyways, we're really excited about that. And that's pretty much it. The ghost hunt on uh, Sunday at the uh, Wyndham restaurant. I think there's a couple of spots left if you want to go. Uh, it's going to be kind of fun. It'll be low-key, not that big of a crowd. Yeah. And uh, you can get that from the Circles of Wisdom in Andover. So. Anything else you want to add there, old great one? Um, no, actually not. I've covered it all? Yes, you have. No, uh, I was going to mention that our book's coming out in September 1st, but that's okay. We can save that for another time. You can say it. we got plenty of time. I just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of cool because uh, I actually uh, did an interview for North Shore Magazine, and they were like, I started telling them like, some of the chapters what was going on, and they were like totally frightened. The girl didn't want to hear anymore. You're kidding me. No. Well, why is that? Yeah. How can you be scared? Have you read it? I'm scared. About 30 times? <laughs> uh, Helsing think fears nothing. About 30 times, maybe? <laughs> you know? I don't know. I just have a feeling of apprehension about it. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Stop picking on me about that. Whatever. At least it's not UFOs. Uh, <laughs> you so know, anyway. You're just evil. All right. Something you want to add? Actually, there is something I want to add. Well, bring it up. Bring it All up. right. Um, while I was at the conference, my Thriller Writers Conference, I found out about a fantastic, you know, Thriller Fest. Whatever. Okay. Found out about um, a great uh, charity organization to help those with the literacy. Um, and what this called, if you guys want to check it out, you can do a search on Google for Feeding Body and Mind. And basically, you know, you donate books, books that you've read. You know, we all have these books. At least I know I do. 
You know, my shelves overflow with all these books that I've read. Was it stole from me? No. Um, but the whole point is, is to take these books and to donate them to a charitable organization. And they, what they do is uh, feeding body and mind. Actually, we're going to team up with them. So when we do our book signing, uh, we're going to have a box show up, and we're going to have donations given, and then it'll be brought over to like soup kitchens and uh, different locations for people to get free books to read. Wow, that's so, pretty cool. I think it's great. Oh, our time is up. Now, tomorrow I'm taking off. I'm going up to Shag Harbor. Oh, you bet. Good night. God bless. Thank God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Things that go bump in the night. It's not warm when she's away. 